shit, shit, shit show. It's a fucking shit show. Shit show. Well, welcome back to Shit Show Saturday. We have a special shit show, Diana. Hi. Last minute notice. <laughs> this like it's the, better this way. I think so. Because yeah. then you can't think about it. Well, I'm gonna overthink about it. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> talking to me you'll feel fine in a second okay song so i knew you're gonna ask me that i love music but it bounces off of me like a rubber ball like my girlfriends mm-hmm. like live and breathe music and i really i did think about this i had to think about this and i think holiday by madonna oh, i love it's that a happy song okay carbohydrate pasta what kind all kinds <laughs> um but i love angel hair mm-hmm. okay cheese blue cheese blue cheese or a burrata mm, both my good new, choices that's my new fancy cheese it's so good isn't it so Amazing. fucking good yes um condiment butter <laughs> butter it's the first i think i'm surprised we haven't had butter yet What's better than butter? You can do Nothing. anything with butter. Okay, so how did you find out that you were an adult child? Well, I, you know, so I was an intern uh, working at a residential facility, and this a treatment center, like a, a treatment rehab center, uh-huh. in my twenties, and this amazing licensed therapist came in to do a special group. Oh, feisty lady, like, but she kept it. She was so authentic. Like that was my first seeing somebody be so supremely authentic and um she talked about her own stuff for like how she got into the field she didn't as you know took her a minute to get there like she didn't go back to school until her 50s after she had raised her kids anyway and uh she started demonstrating family sculpting and sand tray and doing all these things with these you know grown-ass men in treatment and I walked out of there like I, I you know, because I was supposed to be this intern. So I, I tried to be stoic as best as possible. And then I walked out of there. I got in my car and I started bawling. I mean, like lost my shit bawling. Mm-hmm. And I called her and she says, honey, it's OK. I'm so glad you called me. And um it was like, and so I started going to see her and, uh, make me cry. Uh, she doesn't, she's not alive anymore, but she was so important to me. Um, anyway, and I started to see her for one-on-one sessions. And then also she was like, you're, I'm going to mentor you. Like I didn't actually have a choice. Um, and that was her, she was, like I said, feisty, but she knew, she knew way more than I ever knew, you know? And um she said i have this family group and i want you to run i want you to run the kids program and i'm like i don't i don't know anything about that i don't know what she's like you were a kid once right And i'm like well of course and she's like and she said you have a calling you don't know it yet and Mm. you're gonna help these kids you grew up in this shit you're gonna help them not do this so i did for years and years and years when did she tell you the term adult child I think probably the first time I I had a uh, my first session with her, she mm-hmm. had, and she, 
she assigned me it'll never happen to me by claudia black Mm -hmm. and i went oh shit (laughs) and my my uncle is in recovery the first in the family and i think i reached out to him and my sister was in recovery at the time is in recovery and um and she was like yeah and i'm like like what like kind of like what like when when we talk about alcoholism like i always knew alcoholism was a thing in the family but the adult child thing was was the a little different mm-hmm. because I I didn't know where I fit into all of this mm-hmm. and I was like oh huh, yeah here we go placator hi <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like when were you gonna clue me in on this shit folks yeah yeah would you say that you had an adult child bottom would it be that situation with that woman See, to me that was not a bottom as much it was like an awakening yeah. Yeah. Um, my some of my bottoms came later. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> you know, I mean, I think I had many and, you know, uh, but one of them was I was about to get married and my fiance got arrested and <laughs> for something from his past. And I stayed with him and we, that relationship was about 10 years and it ended in a restraining order. Uh, where he kept breaking into my home because I had already broke up with him and then of course let him back in for a minute and then he wouldn't leave and he was bottoming bottoming out and drinking and on the street and Mm. I finally had to put a restraining order and I remember going into court and victim services coming up and asking me or saying that they would be there for me and I was like I'm not a victim and then I had to really think about that right and um because that's I'm, interesting yeah i'm used to helping others right i'm always yeah. i'm always an advocate and so somebody was offering to be my advocate and i'm kind of like what the fuck <laughs> so <laughs> that was one of them and the and then leaving that situation and dealing with the nightmares and dealing with the shame so much guilt so much shame i mean do you know what happened to him so funny you ask because it's been it's been almost a decade now um, and one of my best friends ran into him last summer and, um, in public, you know, in, in like a, um, we call it like outdoor concert kind of deal. And, uh, cause I thought he would die. I really did, mm-hmm. you know, on the street, which I, I had so much guilt over because even though he had to take care of himself, I had to take care of myself. I still felt that guilt. Right. And so. Um, but he was sober and he was kind and, um, respectful and, um, apparently had nothing but good things to say about me. So, and I don't even know, I don't even care so much about that as much as he's sober, he's alive, he's no longer homeless and crying in a gutter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Cause that was kind of one of my last images of him, that and him being arrested. Mm -hmm. So. Mm. so let's talk about your childhood now paint the picture so i feel like you know we talk a lot about don't talk don't trust don't feel and that was that was big really big um so my dad was a functioning alcoholic never missed a day of work um my mom was the fabulous codependent and so on the outside beautiful homes 
kind of like the white picket fence, you know, mm-hmm. decent cars. You know, we were the average middle class family, uh, always helping others, you know, um, active in the Catholic Church. Uh, I have two older sisters that are 11 and nine years older than I am. So, you know, I had sisters for the first about seven years of my life, and then they both went to college. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had been that huge gap of where I was the only one in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talked on Monday in our reparenting group, we talked about some of the good stuff, the good qualities. And that's what's in some ways conflicting for me because I definitely knew I was loved. I do know I'm loved, right? Um, I know I was wanted, you know, all those types of things. But their own untreated dysfunction, you know, that trauma that goes generations was so prevalent. Um, And, you know, so my dad provided, he thought that was his job because that's what his father did, right? Um, My mom was a great housekeeper. She always worked part-time, sometimes full-time, but she always wanted to leave them. Always, Mm. always, always, always. And so I always felt torn between the two of them. Um, I wanted to protect my dad. Um, I felt like he needed, I always worried about him because she always took me, right? Like we would be gone overnight or, um, or it was never long. We'd always go back. Right. But, uh, she, I was her emotional support. Um, and so that, and I didn't really realize it. I mean, I knew it. I knew it, but I didn't realize it. But I always worried about my dad because I felt like my mom was more resilient. And yet she she didn't ever leave. And she was with him until the day she died. You know, it makes me think of when you just said that, it made me think of this uh, part in the Big Red Book where it says, from the non-alcoholic parent, we learn to accept abusive or neglectful behavior as a natural part of life. For example, during an argument, Some of us left or fled the home with a non-alcoholic parent only to return in a few days as if nothing had happened. From this behavior, we got the message that it was normal to push aside our fear and return to abusive or shaming parent. As a result, we can have great difficulty walking away from unfulfilling relationships as adults. Oh yeah. Queen of the breadcrumbs. (laughs) Yeah. What was your understanding of your dad's drinking like as a kid? It was just, it was kind of part of, of things. I remember, so he had a hunting club. Okay. And I loved going with him when I was little. Um, mm-hmm. But I also remember being terrified on the drive home. Scared because I knew he was, I don't know that I knew it was drunk. I knew he wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And, mm-hmm. and, and maybe I knew he was drunk. I don't, it's so weird. I don't have a lot of childhood memories. Um, and I think that's self-preservation for sure. Um. I often have to, I have one best friend that I've known since kindergarten and she's still in my life today. And I often have to ask her for frame of reference. Hmm. What does she have to, what does she remember? A lot more, a lot more. And so then what was, I mean, did your mother kind of parentify you as far like, would she kind of, she vented to you about their relationship? Yep. Yeah. So many good things about my mom, but there are so many things that were not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? She taught me a lot of good, like she's just such a nurturer. Um, but the hard part was, is there was always an expectation in terms of if she did something for you, you would wait for the shoe to drop, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like, why aren't you there for me? She wanted me to be her best friend. Um, I knew that I didn't want to be her best friend because it wasn't true reciprocity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about your sisters? Like, what do you think their experience was like growing up compared to yours? Harder than mine. Yeah. Um, my parents got married when they were young. My mom was 19 when she said I do. <laughs> wow. Big, big wedding. Um, it like made the the local paper. Um, we still have that article, right? You know, um, uh, she talked about that she didn't get to choose a lot of what she wanted. Her mom and her mother-in-law did. Um, but anyway, she got pregnant immediately with my eldest sister and uh, at 19. And then she um, had my other sister within two years of that. Uh-huh. So... Um, and my oldest sister had some medical problems. And so then my middle sister or the middle one, my second oldest sister, I think felt alone a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, the other piece to that was, is my dad was terrified at having a sick baby and he was worried about the medical costs and he just worked and worked and worked and worked Mm -hmm. and worked. Um, I think it was scary for all of them for a lot a long time and then he coped by drinking and escaping by drinking mm-hmm. and, um you know they were young they were in their 20s they they you know my dad worked in a company where he was the youngest guy in the group you know this was like the 60s and there was lots of kind of like that madman drinking smoking <laughs> and um you know he couldn't hang with the big boys he would always just get sloppy drunk um mm-hmm. that's my understanding anyway and then that resulted in lots of drama. Um, I think there was a time, I, I don't think I was alive, I don't even know, but that he walked right through the Christmas tree. You know, stuff like that. Um, so I think it was harder for my sisters. Um, and they, their trauma is different than mine. I mean, obviously, but I, I think I didn't see as much violence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when, which... Did both of your sisters have substance issues or just one of them? Um, one in recovery. Uh-huh. And when All did she start acting out? Dysfunctional. Huh? Yeah. When did she start acting out? Well, again, I don't, you know, my memory, because I was little, but my, I, I remember this one really bad fight. Um, and I got in the middle between my sister and my dad and she was on crutches from a surgery and she was a teenager. So I want to say it was her tween teen years uh-huh. uh, where she was sneaking out of the house, you know, doing whatever she was doing, partying. Um, and she left at 17. She left the house at 17. And kind of, you know, so um, that was always big. And then I remember when she was in college and living in San Francisco, and I was younger, I would um, go see her in San Francisco and we would do fun things. And, you know, she was my hero, right? How old was she when she got sober? Late 20s. Uh-huh. That's great. And did your dad ever go to AA or did your mom ever yeah. check on Al-Anon? I think my mom, my mom did therapy in Al-Anon and it never she would go for as long as it worked. And then, and then when something, I think, and I don't mean to be cool, but I think when something maybe hit home, she ran mm-hmm. <laughs> with a the therapist. If the therapist got to, you know, with like 
because my mom would always do this. I want to leave. I want to leave. And the therapist would finally say, so leave. And that didn't work for her anymore. Right. Nobody was, co- uh, you know, co-signing her bullshit. So, mm-hmm. um, and then my dad, so my dad did AA off and on. And it finally, when my mom had had another heart episode, he's been sober. It's, I think it'll be 26 years this year. Wow. So he's been sober half my life. Wow. More than half my life. Um, and he did do AA. He does have a sponsor that, that um, he checks in with. And again, it's not mine to judge, but um, I, I know he walked through the steps. I just don't know. I think little, he did it once. I a little dry. Off the, I checked off the box and he was like, I'm good. When you look at the laundry list, I mean, obviously number 12, dependent personalities who are terrified of abandonment. What other traits do you feel like really have impacted your life? Oh, the excitement one. Um, Yeah, I just run to the fire all the time. Most of them, to be honest, even some way. Mm -hmm. Um, But those two are two that I'm like, for sure. I've definitely got some kind of ADD, ADHD thing going on um, that I think I've learned to live with, uh, adjusted to, um, but it was really hard for me in my growing up and in my 20s. Like, it was hard with school and trying to start a career, all those things. And so what led you to want to work in a treatment center? Because was that kind of your initial, was that your first job? Like, first real yeah. job? No, no, I was working in finance. I worked for stockbrokers. Again, love the excitement, right? You know, um, and before that, I was, you know, uh, in uh, first, my very, well, so my very first job was obviously was like restaurant work Yeah. in high school, you know, at the pizza place and all that good stuff. And then uh, when I moved to the Bay Area for school, I became like an admin person and then moved out of that position into a sales position, even though I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I mean, I did, but I didn't. And then I was still trying to go to school. It took me 10 years to get my bachelor's degree. I was like professional student at that point. Um, And then I, um, when I finally got more serious about school for a minute, I had this internship but I had to work full time. So I said to my sister, cause I was, I think I was living with my sister at the time. And I said, what do I do? And she's like, Oh, I know this, uh, residential facility, uh, in, and, um, they have an evening program for men that work. And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, and so I, uh, met with the program director and he's like, yeah, no, that would be great. We'd love to have, you know, your, you know, your education, because kind of back in the, that time, um, you know, things were, there was less like, the certification was just becoming like a requirement mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. be a, a treatment provider, to be a counselor. Mm-hmm. So his thing was, oh, well, you can bring some education to some of our counselors. Our counselors have a lot of lived experience anyway. And so I was a little bit different. What the reality was, is I had a lot of lived experience. I just didn't know what it, that meant. Yeah. Um, Anyway, and so I immediately like fell in love with the work and I, you know, because the stockbroker thing wasn't, I was insistent to stockbrokers, wasn't fulfilling, helping rich people get richer, 
the stock market was starting to uh, crash. <clears throat> Things were slowing down. There was less excitement. This was a new kind of excitement. <laughs> um, but it also, you know, set me on this trajectory where, like I said, I met my mentor. I started this other, you know, uh, volunteer group and um, kind of never looked back. And then eventually I left this uh, uh, working in the finance industry to work for this treatment center full time. but originally as a sort of special projects person to the executive director, which turned into a full-time grant writing position, which again, you know, everything's about a deadline and, you know, waiting till the last minute to get everything done and then succeed and then get funded, and, you know, more of the drama, more of the excitement and learning how to do that better. So I wasn't always up against it because other people relied on me. People's lives were at hand and I started to grow up a little bit and, professionalized a little bit and fundraise and then just kept going, 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 going and led me into where I'm at today in terms of my career as a director for a nonprofit. Um, and I uh, lead a team that work inside prisons in the state of California, helping um, individuals, incarcerated individuals become certified drug and alcohol uh, counselors, working on the inside to help others find recovery uh it's a essentially building out a workforce but also trying to end the epidemic of overdoses and people dying in prison mm -hmm. and really finding their way to rehabilitation changing their lives being making living amends and being good humans who all come from dysfunction right you know absolutely <laughs> so i get to be in the classroom sometimes with them and uh share a little bit and teach a little bit and uh, I love it when they have their aha moments you know they start connecting the dots and it's I've never met more in uh, students that are so willing to learn and to to listen and absorb mm -hmm. and see the change you know, lots of them end up paroling, lots of them end up doing well, lots of them end up changing many people's lives, including not just their own. Yeah, it's so cool. So you had heard my episode where I talked about meeting Marvin on the bus. I uh, emailed you right after I heard that. Yeah. What and and what I like to say and what I said in that episode, and I know you strongly feel this way too, it's like had we just grown up in a like we're there we are them and they are us, right? It's like, had we just been born in a little bit di of different circumstances, you well, know, I'd be sitting in prison too. Exactly. And, you know, that's one of those things that uh, my, my boss uh, has said, you know, we have graduations when they, when they, they achieve, uh, finish their education and take their exam for, to become, you know, counselors. And one of his speeches about labels, you know, some labels, some labels we, you know, we take great pride in, right? You know, and then there's, you know, like, you know, Andrea, you know, the uh, founder of Adult Child Pod, right? You know, that's huge, right? Um, or, or, you know, uh, mom or uh, grandma or, you know, or whatever, CEO, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's those titles that, that aren't as, or labels that aren't as sexy, you know, um, alcoholic, <laughs> adult child. <laughs> um, I think it's taken on a new spin lately, but, you know, I remember that, you know, it used to be people would whisper 
you know, I'm an alcoholic or I'm a, I'm an addict or I'm a codependent. Now people say it a little more loudly, like I'm a survivor, I'm thriving, you know, it's different now. It's getting different. Um, and so, um, you know, so we choose we, some labels, we choose some labels we have and some of those labels we can change, right? Instead of an inmate, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a helping profession in the helping profession. I'm a professional healer. Those are gifts. And those are things that we can do as we, uh, heal and grow and learn do you have a particular like uh, like inmate that you like have worked through with the program that you that really has like really was impactful or somebody that comes to mind that was a real success story some of them were like ahead of me being a big part of this but i've seen them on the other side of this meaning they're paroled and they're thriving um so many of them so much success um and then there's some that are, you know, finding their way to freedom now that we're in, um, uh, you know, cohorts that I've been a part of. Um, but some are still inside and I'll see them because I go back for whatever reason to whatever, whichever place I'm at. And they'll say, oh, I, I, I started finding, I started doing more with um, the Big Red Book and I started the ACA 12 Steps and you know, or I'm going to, I'm, I'm helping others. We're running, we're doing the 12 step work on ECA. And I just, every time that happens, I like, you know, I want to be like, yes, I want to like be loud, but you know, don't want to, you know, scare like, anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd love to be like, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, it's exciting. I want to celebrate every time. And I, I do show I'm really happy and really, you know, and we, the one thing is, is that we need um, more sponsors willing to help those that are incarcerated mm-hmm. um and uh because that's the one thing is they want they want that outside support mm-hmm. um and they want to carry that message so mm-hmm. um the one thing that is great about ACA is they will send in if any inmate writes they will send in the big red book and the um uh the yellow workbook Oh, that's awesome. I love that. That is awesome. Free of charge. If, if, if somebody writes in and says, Hey, I, I'm at such and such institution, um, they will get, they will get the book. So, um, yeah. So I always, I always post that in the classroom, you know, and say, if this is something that you maybe resonates with you, which I'm not going to lie, whether people are ready to admit it or not, it should resonate with everybody. Every single day. Um, one of them. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so often they will, or sometimes I walk in and they already have the books and they're like ready and they're ready to hear more. And <laughs> so Not it's bad. really exciting. Um, so let's talk about like, what are, give me some key examples of healing in your, in your life moments in which oh, you gosh. can see that you've grown. Um, you know, I think one was, you know, like I said, with my mentor and her, helping me know that I'm worth it, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, and understanding what was my shit and what wasn't my shit. Mm -hmm. And she, she, (laughs) I love it because, you know, she was so wise and so educated, but she would just, she would just be real and authentic. And she would be like, this pile that you just presented to me, this pile of shit that you just told me about, is it yours? And I'd think about it like it's such an awful visual right it's so relevant and I said no that's not my shit and Mm. she was like so get your hands out of that dirty shit young lady Mm. I mean she just (laughs) it was so blunt but you know I 
clearly need to be hit over the head. And um, so that was that was one of those aha healing moments. I didn't have to pick up everybody's shit. Um, not to say I still don't. I try really hard not to. But that understanding was a big piece for me. Um, what's kind of odd is my mom passed away three years ago. And um, kind of through the grief process, I found some healing you know, um, and a greater appreciation for her, uh, a greater understanding of her. Um, I always, I've always known for a long, long time, my parents did the best they could with what they had. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't have to be, I don't have to do things the same way. And um, so being able to grieve it, and I miss her. I miss her a lot, tons. Um, but being allowed to grieve and also understand more has allowed for more healing for me and wanting to change. This group we have, you know, and I don't get to participate as much as I'd like because I'm so busy, but um, hearing others helps me heal um, in a lot of different ways and understand things in a lot of different ways that I never put into perspective. Man, Jesse just keeps doing these mic drops left and right, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, but everybody's just so authentic. I think the authenticity has helped me feel I'm very rich in, 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 in friends and support, my husband, my family, but this community, this platform has created a different space of, of understanding and healing that is, um, it's a big deal. It's the shit. <laughs> it's the shit. Did you, um, prior to your mom passing, I guess, or and it could, this could be with your dad too, but have there been any like conversations about the impact of, of your upbringing? Not upbringing. Uh, my mom loved to rehash and hash a lot. Um, and I don't actually know that there was healing from that. Um, but it, it, I do looking back on that, it helps me understand her better. Yeah. I think some of the healing has been with one of my sisters, Mm -hmm. uh, hearing some things from her perspective, um, understanding her pain and her process, both sisters really, um, we're in all in different places. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, that's been good because it gives me more grace for each of them. Um, they've always been my cheerleaders and they've also been my second and third mom <laughs> because of the age difference. But, you know, now that I'm not so young anymore, really, I now they're old baby sister. Um, <laughs> we get to have more adult conversations and we also, you know, we miss our mom. And so, we need each other in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, three things that you like about yourself. Oh, gosh, darn it. Um, I'm always going to fight for the underdog. I am always want to be somebody's advocate. I'm a helper. That is innate in me. It has been. I remember doing that in like the first grade, you know, standing up to the teacher for unfair treatment of another student, student that she just didn't have patience for. Um, I'm loving and loyal. And I'm a total goofball. Hope or dream for the future? Uh, My hope or dream is I want to go back to school um, and I want to follow in my mentor's footsteps 
specifically around, um, you know, doing a little more than life experience and being able to have those letters as a therapist to help those that are adult children. Mm. Um, I think, honestly, I've kind of been connecting dots lately that that's probably what she was setting up all along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she knew 20 years ago. And uh, and I kept saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she pushed so hard for me to just get my ba- finish my bachelor's. She's like, just do it. God damn it. Just do it. <laughs> you know, and um, so, uh, yeah, the end game, you know, when I'm, I'm, you know, I always, I love the job I have. Absolutely love it. I feel like I was called to it, literally. Um, and for whatever the powers, the higher power, the, all the people, whatever, the way it manifested. Um, but I think that eventually, you know, when I'm old and hopefully still have a good brain, right, you know, cognitively still able to, I want to continue her work. I want to be there for those that want to be on this healing journey and, um, you know, help people be authentic and be okay with that, whatever that looks like, and just be loved and nurtured. I, I, I'm a great nurturer and uh, that is a gift from my mom, I think. Well, let's get that shit going. Right. I know. I know. Like I said, I've just started to kind of, you know, 20 years late, later, connect some dots. And um, this is all a journey. And then this is where it's leading me to, I think. Well, you're amazing. And everything that you're doing is so amazing. And just thank you for your, for your service and for being you. Let it all go.